Right. Yeah, I, I, especially after John Lennon, you know, the Beatle? Yeah. Was shot. I was so why did they come to you? Well, I used to live in the same neighborhood with the kid that shot him. Oh, wow. And he was a year younger than me, and I used to take him to school and stuff Dang. like that. So that got out. Were <laughs> you a suspect? No, it got out in Virginia. I was a youth pastor in the Norfolk, Virginia newspaper wanted an article on it. And they just asked mm. me questions. Why didn't you shoot him? I don't really know much about that story. Well, he just, he nutted up. He, he just was a nut when I was with him. He lived, he was a neighborhood, kid neighborhood, played football, elementary school field, went to elementary, high school. It was like, hey, Mark, hey, Mark. I wasn't his best friend. Right. But he ran with another group of guys that were kind of, different <laughs> what does yeah. that mean <laughs> they were they, bad or they, they kind were... of separated themselves out from the other group oh, okay from all the groups of people that were there and wore not trench coats but army jackets down to the knees and stuff like that played they had a what was their like ideology or whatever or did they not have one i think they were just trying to make it through life but then right. he got out he graduated from high school he met an oriental girl he was fascinated with the beatles and he got into their lifestyle and got into their music, played their music. He made married an Asian girl, just like Yoko Ono, uh, right. Lennon's wife, and went to Hawaii. They lived there for a while, came back, and he got obsessed with them. He got a divorce, I believe, from his wife. Moved to New York to try to be around John Lennon because he was living up there. That's his like stalker guy. That's what he did for a while. And then he. I think he just was obsessed, and all of a sudden it got way into his head, and he thought if he did that, People that do that think that they'll be famous. Right. They've kept him low key, but um, yeah, he did. He shot That's him. So I hate that because I knew him from as fourth grade. Man, I mean, he lived as far from here to probably. I, I was thinking the other day, what if people that were murderers that we like erase their name from all records or whatever, so there was no like infamy yeah. in it or whatever, or don't make a movie about them, <laughs> or write <laughs> yeah. a book about them because these other right. copycats, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, that's what happened. Yes. Well, that's a great, that's a crazy story, and yeah. I'm gonna probably keep that in there somewhere. Um, yeah, it's been going because I wanted to make sure it would go. Um, yeah. So I will. Well, we'll pray, and then I'll just go ask you about your. Um, actually, then I'll do the little thing I say at the beginning of everyone, uh, and then I'll say, you know, just tell me a little bit about your background and upbringing, starting with childhood or whatever. So are you going to just keep asking questions or? It'll be very straightforward. Like if you're, if we're just like slowing down to where I want you to keep going, then I'll go tell me about high school, tell me about college, tell me about whatever happened after that. But it's so usually you don't talking, even need the, to do that. You know, the person doesn't go. So you're not talking about world issues or biblical <laughs> theology. Mm -hmm. No, it's just personal stuff. Cause um, it is my, I'm going to put these down here because it's so because I'm hearing it like a little after yeah, I say it. doing an echo. Um, it's my opinion that most people already know what they're doing wrong. They just don't know why they would stop, um, myself included. So when they're doing something wrong, they already know what it is and they already know what they should be doing. And so um, there's some kind of either negative habit or any number of reasons that they go back to it. Um, guilt or shame or whatever, who knows. But um, but, so, given that they, everyone already knows what that person should do, including them, um, I want to reach them by just being so open that it gets through the sort of cynicism that people build up, because um, whenever, the worst I'm doing, 
um, is directly correlated to how like cynical and negative I am. Um, you know, those go hand in hand. So, and the more sort of cynical and negative I am, the less open I am to anything good or anything new even. Um, and so, given that I think that is true of a lot of people, the only way you get through that is is by saying, here's something that's so honest that you're seeing the risk that this is. Um, and, and So you just want me to talk about how I got to where I'm Just at. everything, first person, everything, just about your story. Yeah, from where you came and how you got where you are now. Um, I was in a lot of this, just, well, yeah. I guess you can't. Uh, so, Somebody, yeah. Yeah, so, Joanna, she'll be a little later. Yeah. Um, one of the goals is to take people that the world uh, assumes to be weak, like former addicts and stuff like that, and, uh, and sort of show the, the incredible strength that they have, uh, you know, clean ones anyway, um, and then to take people that the world assumes are strong, like successful people of every kind, and show the, the ongoing struggle that they deal with to stay where they are and to not go back to negative stuff of any kind, and to stay even to stay where they are to keep going forward that all of that is a continuous fight of uh, not listening to negative things and acting on good things and uh, not giving into uh, negative impulse and all that kind of stuff so anyway let's pray Lord thank you for Pastor Rob and thank you for um, him making the time to do this be with every person that will hear this and just help this to be a small piece of the puzzle and, and, uh, and them being open to something new and to some kind of change or help them to maybe this to maybe be used to uh, allow them to believe that they could change and that mm. people are not predestined by the things that happened to them mm. or by even the things that they did um, help them to be uh, a piece of them understanding that you're not angry at them and that their flaws do not um, push you away um, and that uh, that you did not hate them, and that you didn't give up on them, and uh, just help us to be a, a part in that. Amen. All right. Hello and welcome to the Not a Victim podcast. Oh, I don't know what that was. Um, yeah, don't do that with your feet if you can. No. <laughs> it's figure out everything. So um, today's guest is Rob Rayner. So um, yeah, so just go ahead and tell me a little bit about your background and upbringing and the environment that you grew up in. Well, I grew up in Shelby, North Carolina. It's about 30 miles west of Charlotte. Um, had a great life there, uh, somewhat, and had just a, it was a cool Mayberry, North Carolina town mm. back then. And uh, uh, grew up pretty, you know, pretty much like most kids do, going to school um, and uh, doing all the things, riding a bicycle in the neighborhood and all those cool things we all used to do back then that we didn't even know the word cool represented. <laughs> but we did that and... Um, mm. Got through that and... Were your parents uh, believers? My mother. My mother was. Dad? My dad, you'd say he's a believer, but he didn't really um, live it out. He didn't walk the walk. He he believed there's a God and he believed there's a Jesus. He was raised um, by uh, some of his siblings after his mother died in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And he was handed around from family to family and mm -hmm. just had, you know, went to church when they did and didn't, but anyway, he. He, uh, he wasn't a um, Bible reading, you know, following Christ type of believer. He was a believer in, in um, 
in word, but not so much in deed. But yes, grew up there at nine years old. My uncle was the child that uh, was the last of seven family members and on her deathbed, my dad's mother's deathbed, she said, if anything uh, happens to Charles, I want you to take care of him. He was the baby, my dad was third from the baby. So he was in Atlanta. He uh, owned a couple of grocery stores and a cafeteria down in Decatur. He got sick and he called my dad and said, I need you to come down here to help me run these things or I'll lose them mm. while I'm going through treatment, surgery, all those things. So my dad came home one day and said, we're gonna to move to Atlanta because mm. we'd been down here visiting him. I was nine years old at the time. And so um, I said, we can't do that. I said, I've got buddies that live on my street. I'm a North Carolina, right. so, but yeah. we did. We moved to Decatur, Georgia when I was nine. Big step, huge, from mm. Mayberry to right. you know, Decatur. Yeah. So my growing up, you know, I did all this stuff earlier on. I hunt and fished with my dad. I was raised outdoors. I love hunting and fishing and being outdoors, being on the lake. And then moving down to Atlanta, I thought, I will never get to hunt again, never get to fish again. <laughs> Won't have the buds I had when I was, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's a huge thing. Yeah, it was huge. Moved down, and then I worked with my dad in the grocery store and ran the cash register. They put me up on a milk crate. <laughs> I was going to say, it's yeah, pretty young. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I, I could reach it. Okay, but that put me a little higher. Maybe in a Coke crate, but anyway, um, filled up Coke machines and went to work with him in the morning when I was out of school. And when I got out of school, I usually went over there unless I was playing baseball, which I did that growing up. Typical kid, grew up playing baseball, element, I mean, a little league, going to elementary school. I was in the fourth grade when we moved there. And uh, we moved further out into Cap County, outside of Atlanta, into more of a subdivisional type neighborhood where they were. Right. High schools, there were about five within a rock's uh, throw of each other. And uh, wow. I went through elementary school there, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, seventh grade. Had some, met some good buddies there. And right. um, so went to high school, my eighth grade. They didn't have a middle school. <laughs> went through, that was crazy. I yeah. really tell people, do not go to, uh, I learned so much that eighth grade year from the 11th and 12th grade guys. Mm. And that I shouldn't have learned um, being 13. I mean, it was right. just incredible. But anyway, grew up, went there, and played football, baseball. Kept doing that until about the 11th grade, and um, Atlanta became a big mecca for the Southern Rock Bands, and pop was very, you know, it was a big deal. Drug, the hippie drug culture came along, and being a musician, somewhat loving music and learning to play the guitar and the bass. Um, I had a guy that was a friend, and he was on the football team, but he also is a guitar player, and we got together. He smoked pot, introduced me to my first joint, and just went from there downhill in that culture and mm. quit football. 11th grade year, um, I did not try out. Coach wanted me to. Mm. I came. Um, what did your parents think about that? <laughs> my dad didn't say a whole lot, but mm. my mom kept going, What's wrong? What's, why don't you go here, there? Why don't you go? And I guess she could tell that I was. Um, that I was going into a different culture, subculture of what's out there with the young people. And I think she knew that I was probably right. into the drug hippie scene there or whatever. Where was your uh, uh, your music at that point? You know what I mean? Not very much. Just right. It was growing more with, uh, I went to work out when I was, um, stepped out of the 11th grade. I was like 16, just turning 16, whatever. 
and the girl that I was dating, her dad worked at a guitar repair shop. He was in Judy Garland's band. He played mm -hmm. uh, a rhythm guitar, and a uh, nice guy's name was Park Hall. And so he gave me a job. I uh, left school and went to work with him, left home, mm -hmm. went down into Decatur, uh, on the other side of Decatur, and lived in a house that me and two other guys lived in. And I worked on guitars and for him. I would get them ready for him to uh, trouble, tighten them up, replace frets, keys right. on the back of guitars and all that. And some of the bands that came through there that we worked on were Marshall Tucker and mm. Allman Brothers and Chet Atkins. And so there were people that knew him because he was sort of a, uh, a notoriety of person, a right. type person that they knew how good a guitar player he was and that he really knew how to do it and even made guitars and violins and right. stuff like that. So I got to work with him. So that threw me into the culture of the uh, rock scene in Atlanta, mostly Southern rock, but there were other bands that came through. I'd go to all the concerts, got in free a lot of times because of my work with them. Yeah. And so all the bands come through back in the day, Moody Blues, Allman Brothers, was, I saw them a bunch. All the others, you know, like Pink Floyd, Traffic, Mountain, Black Sabbath went to all the did concerts. You get, uh, did you get like backstage stuff? So I did. <laughs> yes, I did. I had a little pass that I could use. And usually if you went back there, though, you had to work. So I was a runner. So you were I, moving like gear and stuff? I was moving gear, mostly strings. Go get this, go get that for me. It's over that box. And they had their own people there, but the, the guys that were there roadies really worked us. There was a couple guys that were in the same. But I got to watch, see all these great venues of musicians that yeah. came through and yeah. That's great. It's crazy time. Uh, yeah, so tell me about uh, college. Well, before, I'll give you a little bit yeah, of yeah. segue. Or whatever goes between there, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I got pretty heavy into the scene at that time of the, the rock hippie culture. That's a whole different group from just the hippie culture. I know it is. <laughs> Which one is Grateful Dead? <laughs> I think... Um, Are they both? I look at the hippies as flower flower children that uh, love the Grateful Dead and, and not me. I was into the rock, okay. hard rock, you know. Yeah. Jimi Hendrix, I got to see him in concert down in at the Byron Atlanta Pop Festival. So hmm. I was into that culture. And they were almost two separate cultures that would mingle, but they were definitely defined by peace, love, and, you know, all that stuff. Happiness or whatever. That's right. And we were not defined by that. You know, we were just, we rode motorcycles, I rode a motorcycle. You were like cool hippies. Well, we thought we were, <laughs> but they thought they were cooler. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was kind of like... They didn't need a motorcycle. No, they, they just need <laughs> flowers in their hair. That was what they did. They put flowers in their hair, wore beads, and wore crazy looking uh, Hindu outfits. But anyway, um, I, um, how I came to go to college. Yeah. I, at 17, um, the girl that her dad I, that I worked for, she started going to church and we kind of broke up, but I had been, um, we still were, were, were friends. Uh, I had, didn't leave, we didn't leave each other, whatever, just friends. And, but um, I went down to Panama City Beach, Florida and uh, got into a situation where um, we, we bought some marijuana. I was probably at the bottom of the barrel of my existence in this, this culture that I was in. And mm. <clears throat> this guy gave us a pill and me and a friend of mine took it and it really, um, we didn't know what it was. It wasn't acid. I never did acid. I did downers, 
speed, cocaine, pot. That was about the four biggest I enjoyed. But not anything hallucin hallucinatory type of drugs mm -hmm. or anything. But it just really messed us up physically and mentally. Mm. And um, for three days, we couldn't leave the hotel room with the other guy that was with us. Anyway. Just like paranoid or something? Um, <laughs> sort of. We did not want to go to the hospital mm. because we thought they would um, put us in juvenile jail or whatever. Right, they right. So we tried roughing it out. Everything flipped sideways. It worked on our something in our head that made everything spin mm. and flip. We found out later it was medicine that epileptics took. Mm. That being said, the friend I was with's mother was a nurse back in down at um, Crawford Long Hospital Atlanta and he called her and he said, I need help. Mm. He said, these two, Rob and Richard, the other guy, are messed up. What do I need to do? And she said, take them out in the water, in the beach, let the salt water start pulling it out of their Evidently, she knew how to, you know, that to work. That's crazy. So, our friend got us out. He walked us across the street to the beach. I can remember he, between both me and Richard, and we were walking with him, and it was real calm that day in the Gulf. And that's the way it can be sometimes, but it, it's not always like that. So we sat down, and after about 30 minutes, maybe, I don't know, I didn't, time was kind of an elusive thing for me during that time. It pulled all that, not a lot, but it pulled enough where I could stand up. Mm. I could not stand up by myself the other way mm. or, or the other, my other friend. So he went back and packed while we were sitting in the water uh, there, kind of on, half, kind of an Indian style or on, my, on our knees or whatever. And he came back and he said, let's go. So he got us up to the hotel, put us in the car. He had packed everything. And we went back to Atlanta. On the way back to Atlanta, I said, Lord, if you're real, I was raised in the Baptist church. I was raised going to Sunday school. I was raised, you know, knowing about Jesus and the Bible things, knowing the ark and all those things and Abraham and baby Jesus and Adam and Eve. And I said, help me. I said, if you help me get out of this, I will do anything and everything you want me to do. So we got back. I got a little better. Every day we got a little better. And um, I went home. I told my mom I thought I might come back home. She's, she said, I've been praying for you every day, every night. And I said, I think I, I want to try to find out about Jesus. And she said, go downstairs, get on your knees by the bed in the downstairs bedroom and ask Jesus into your heart. I don't know why she didn't go with me. I don't know, but she just wanted this to be. I'm 17. You're a young man. You're at your, mm -hmm. you know, the dawning of your manhood. You need to do this. So I went downstairs and I got on my knees side of the bed and I asked for Jesus to show his face on the wall. <laughs> that was crazy. I know it is. And I went back upstairs. I said, if you're real now, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to step out in faith. Or I am ready to do this. So uh, he didn't, uh, to my <laughs> surprise, and probably non-surprise, but I was like, really? So I went back upstairs, and I told my mother, and she said, you get back down there, and you ask him in your heart. He's not going to show his face on the wall. You have to accept him in faith. I did. Why would you have to go down there to do it? I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, I really, I, to this day, I, I, I haven't asked her why. I guess all the upstairs rooms were uh, my other two sisters. I had two sisters. She wanted me to get down there. Where you were alone, I guess. Yeah. And so it's made an indelible mark on me because I did. Hmm. And then I came home and I started going to the church a Christian church over in Decatur is a big church, large church, right around 1,500, 1,600 
where my ex-girlfriend was going and the preacher was preaching and I came down the aisle one Sunday. Asked me what I wanted and I said, whatever you were saying about accepting Christ. And he said, okay. They took about seven or eight people that were down front with me up there to be baptized. I didn't go. Still had pretty long hair and I was just kind of in, introverted, insecure being in front of people. He said, come back Wednesday night. Another pastor came, baptized me on Wednesday night. I started um, hanging out and with some of those guys and guys that I knew before and played football and baseball with, they were Christians and they started mentoring me along with a youth minister back into a walk with Jesus. I didn't have to go to any kind of recovery. There were no recoveries for us. Right. It was it was therapy, go to juvenile, and you got to spend hours in the classroom going through all the stuff. They, mm. So all I did was get with other believers and started getting myself back together, not the way I was before, but in a better, better with Jesus. And mm. I went back, they let me come back in high school. I had to cut my hair up to about my shoulders. And I said, okay, I can do that. And I carried my reach out Bible with me and went to school and told everybody my story of what I'm telling you somewhat now. Yeah, yeah. And got, had to go back and redo 11th grade and at night school and afternoon school and summer school. And then the next year I began my 11th grade almost at the end of it. And I went all, or my 12th grade went all the way and I still had to go to some more. And I graduated in 72 with, mm. um, in December. I went to an adult ed place, uh, high school that all the hippies and druggies and pregnant high school teenage girls went to. Hmm. Finished up there and started working with kids in the youth group with my youth minister. And then he came in one day and he said, I got some kids that are just like you, kind of like following the same track you're on. We're on and doing drugs. He said, you might sit down with them sometime um, with a little group and, and share with them. So, yeah, amazing. Um, from my experience or I guess just my opinion is that most vices are just like a reactionary thing to something that's way below that. Um, what do you think that might have been in your case? There's not always something, but do you think there was something that sort of prompted de the desire to run. escape? Yeah, run. I, I hear you. Um, yeah, my father. Hmm. Now, I'm not throwing him at sure. all under the bus. I love my dad. I hunted fish with him worked at his gas station grocery stores, but about 13 or 14, I rebelled against him because he had a he had an alcohol problem. He would come in drunk, and then my mother would cry, mm. and then I just, after a year or so of that, I said, I'm leaving, I'm getting out of here. I begged my mother to leave, mm. and I said, we'll go get an apartment. And uh, my younger sister, my older sister, graduated from high school, moved to California. But anyway, I said, yes, uh, let's do that. And she said, I can't leave your dad. I married him for better, for worse, mm. and I'm not gonna break those vows. So I said, well, then I'll leave. And I said it with a few cuss words in there just to make her know that I meant what I was saying. And that's when I left and went through what I just told yeah, you, yeah, that yeah. process. Now, when I was working with kids at Mount Carmel, the Christian church I went to, um, I started talking to them. And I knew Bible. I knew John 3.16 probably. But I started telling them they needed to clean up. Because they were, yeah, I could smell them sitting up. There's three in front of me and I'm in a chair and I could smell them. I go, you guys need to clean. Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. You need to clean yourself up. Mm. And I said, if you want to follow Jesus, you got to clean yourself up. Then I talked to him about getting a job and early bird gets the worm. You need to get up in the morning, go out and work instead of hanging out all night, doing dope and all that. And uh, getting up, I did the one early to bed, early to rise, makes man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And then I told him, <laughs> early bird gets the worm. My youth minister came up one day in the hallway and he said, what do you, uh, he said, they like it that you talk to them in there. They're, seems like they're coming along, but 
what's the Bible you're telling them? And I told him, and he said, that's not in the Bible. I think all that's pretty good advice. <laughs> I said, it should be. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to send you down to Atlanta Christian College at night. You and Johnny Drew, another friend of mine, and another girl. And I want you to take night courses at this Christian college. And this was after I graduated. So I took Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, first semester, second semester. I did not have an SAT taken. I did graduate and I had my graduation certificate. And so I did. I went at night and I learned Old Testament some and I learned New Testament. It was very hard because I had really moved away from that depth of studying and yeah. listening and writing in college. So right. I did that. Um, so as, let's see how I want to word this. <laughs> okay. um, I feel like the world today is moving very much towards uh, atheism in the West anyway. And uh, I think the, there's several reasons for that. One is people see all kind of um, pain that they received from someone that is a follower of Christ or whatever, and they've just been hurt by someone. They've been hurt by a church or in or someone has abused their power and, th and said that God told them to do something that they just wanted to do. There's, and use God as a scapegoat, that happens a lot. But anyway, there's any number of reasons why that might be. Um, and then obviously there are a ton of things in scripture that don't make a ton of sense and all that. Um, so, uh, but more than that, I feel like most uh, atheists uh, are atheists of convenience. That uh, it just suits them more to be able to be their own determiner of right and wrong. Um, I think that's the reason why I'm not one is that I don't trust myself or any other human uh, to decide what right and wrong is because uh, we'll just sort of mold it to whatever suits our uh, feeling in, in that moment. And uh, yeah, but why do you think that is? And um, I guess what is your, how do you address that uh, tide as the world goes that way and, and as reason is used um, for the explanation as to why people are walking away from God um, as if those are on the two opposite ends of the spectrum? Well, that's a very um, loaded question that has different answers to it, but I think the basic answer for me and from why I walked away from God is because I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I think it's selfism or selfishness. Right. And it goes to I'm the king of me. I'm doing this. My I want to do my life. I can make myself happy, and I can do the things. I live in America, so there's all these options out there. I can go to college. I can go to right. trade school. I can do something. I can get married. And so what happens is I think we move toward that, and I did it early. I did it very early. And so well, and obviously the temptation is hedonism that with yeah. atheism comes do whatever you want regardless of what happens afterwards That's do right. whatever you feel it's like what doing it's about me yes. and then the other side of that and this is I think the strength of being a, a follower of Christ or being a person who has faith is that uh, the other side of hedonism is meaninglessness that they're basically saying do whatever and hurt whoever because your life means nothing and so uh, the, again, the strength of someone with the Christian worldview is the flipping of that, is to say, don't do whatever you want, don't live for today, live for uh, eternity, live for, because you have meaning and that person has meaning, so don't hurt that person and don't do whatever you feel like doing because you both mean something. Um, thoughts on that? <laughs> You know, you're right, and you're, you're describing why I went and took the path that I took, because 
I thought that uh, Christianity, uh, believing in God and Jesus, and I, I believe that it was a bunch of do's and don'ts. It was rules, regulations. And, but when I truly had some people around me that showed me that it was a relationship, not, not the regulations and rules, it was a relationship with Jesus that mattered. And when I accepted him, it did. It changed my life. I mean, the proof's in the pudding. And the pudding was that in my life, the, the proof of that was that I went from, I, I was blind. I was in this thing all for myself. I was self-centered narcissistic all those things all those things it was about me i was gratifying me i was looking out for me and then when i met jesus he took me away from me he, he killed the old me i guess you'd say put to death the old uh, crucified with christ paul said it in, in um, galatians 2 20 and when i gave myself to jesus and he came inside of me through his spirit and gave me life and i started seeing everything through a different color of glasses a different vision I, had, I saw the sunset for the very first time I'll never forget when I, I accepted him I went outside one night and I was standing somewhere on a, a place where the sun was setting I don't remember exactly where it was at before I really had gotten home yet and I saw the sun going down I said that is absolutely gorgeous I had I had been so into me and into the drug culture and into the all the stuff that was involved with that and mm -hmm. I, I thought it would make me happy I thought it would gratify me and I would get to this utopic place where I'm going, right. I have arrived. And, and depression is so intertwined with self-obsession. Uh, I'm reading a book about it right now and it's uh, very complicated, but just from my struggle with depression throughout my life, it's been very closely tied to my world being no bigger than me That's and right. my own problems and my own little world and my just everything is me, there's nothing outside of me. Um, and that uh, there's this weird relationship between self-obsession and depression, but because it's negative, no one calls it out. Whereas if you were boasting about how uh, wonderful everything about you was, people would cut you down to size. But if you're really negative about uh, your own ego and all that stuff, no one says anything because they just feel bad. And so it like continues. Not that it's on them to do anything, it's still on you to, to change the situation you're in, but... Um, anyway, so I want to go back to the thing you said about a change of perspective when you became a believer, and that the... We kind of covered this already, but that when you do become a believer, the temptation then becomes to um, sort of put on false humility and to put everything under the uh, image of God, including all the selfish desires that remain, all the parts of you that are still human, it's very easy to, to uh, and tempting to say that, uh, to put that all behind the sort of uh, image of God so that I'm not responsible for anything anymore. Um, and, I, and people obviously see through that, but just thoughts on that and, and uh, how to not do that. <laughs> you know, that, that's, a, that's the ongoing dilemma of us believers and followers of Christ is not to go back to the old mm. not to because that's the natural drift is downhill again mm. is to go toward the flesh and uh, we don't the Bible teaches us where we don't wrestle flesh and blood it's not so much that but we go deeper into powers and principalities and that's who's behind the flesh attraction you know the flesh of the eyes and the flesh of the uh, lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's the things Jesus was tempted with. I think Jesus was still tempted all through his 
um, life, even till his death on the cross. He was tempted, but he, he didn't cave into it. We have to be careful, and I had to, and how I dealt with that, and I think the Lord did this to help me in a big way, was he allowed me to get into a ministry. I, I went to the college I was telling you about the next year, is Atlanta Christian College. I started going full-time, and when I did, I started, uh, got in a Christian band there. We traveled around, and the church came up one night after I was playing at, at that place, and they said, we need a youth minister. You know, your mom's moved out here. Could you do this some on the weekend? And I did. I met my wife the first day I went to campus full-time at this school, Joanne. Hmm. And so both of us kind of partnered together. He gave her to me. He just started bringing things into my life that I needed, right. not so much that I wanted. And as a matter of fact, I did want it, but I was trying to go in another direction to get it. Yeah. So when I put him first and started working with those kids and my youth minister wanted me to learn more Bible, all that, all he was doing was working behind the scenes to move me toward where in my life I would not, it would be hard for me to slip away from him. I would need him. I'd be so over my head. Mm and doing things that really mattered, doing things that were of high significance of helping people come to Christ and helping them with their transition in life to, to make the, the change to, mm. to be transformed by the renewing, as it says in Romans 12. So that, that happened, and then he put me in that youth ministry path for about 14 years, and I couldn't believe it. Got me out of college. It still blows my mind. People that know me, God, I still can't believe you did this. <laughs> and I go, I didn't. Christ in me. Then, so basically yeah. you got involved in a bunch of other people's lives so that you didn't yes. really just uh, it wasn't about sit me home anymore. and think about how smart you yes. had become. Yes. Um, I have just a few more questions. One is, did you ever have a season of life that you thought you would never get out of? Yes. And I bring this up because, uh, and the people who listen to the podcast have heard this literally 20 times, but um, years ago, which I've already told you this, so I'll keep it very short, but years ago when all that went down and I felt like I was nearing suicide, um, Part of me knew that not everyone was this way, so clearly there was a way to not be this way. And then part of me thought, maybe I'll always feel this way because I felt this way every single day for several months. And so I thought, maybe this is normal now. Maybe this is the rest of my life now. And uh, and just, I really felt like, am I stuck here forever? And, uh, and actually the weight and the pain of that experience allowed me to really like break and then the breaking allowed all kind of new wonderful uh, experiences with God and really the first ever one that was real um, but yeah just any moment like that that you thought I don't know if I'll ever leave here I think the answer to that is yes I think that everybody goes through that it may I'm not, not asking everybody I'm, I know you're not but I think, <laughs> I think everybody goes through that I think everybody goes through a time in their life where they go is this going to be the rest of my life? Is this the new normal? Or whatever. Yeah. So that, to that, I, I think we're all prone to wonder, as the song old hymn used to say, that we're, we're prone to go back into that spiraling of, and so we have to continue to do things that keep us in that walk with the Lord. And I, I had to do that, yes. I, that, I, there was a time where I was two years before I got married, after I came to Jesus, hmm. gave him my life, that I, I get back and forth. Am I going to do this? Is this going to be the rest of my life? And hmm. am I ever going to get married and have kids? I've screwed up so much. Is my body going to have good stuff in it where I can have a kid? Right. So, yes, that's exactly. Hmm. But I, I have found that what I have to do is constantly do things for others and do what Christ has shown me to do and move forward to stay away from that 
that hot spot again. You know what I'm saying? I have to do that. I have to keep going against my feelings because my feelings take me down into a place where I don't want to be all the time. Not all my feelings, but when I sense that happening to me, I have to find the ways to come back out of that. Mm. And the way I do is I push past my feeling and I go ahead and I serve Him. Mm. I love Him. I serve others, even though I don't feel it no more than, you know, mm. a rock feels it. But I, but eventually they come back. Mm. The feelings will come back because He brings them back. I have to learn to walk by faith, not by feeling or sight right. or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, the last time I met with you, you, you had seven meetings that day. And uh, and we talked about um, and I was the last one, but uh, and the longest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't doubt that for that matter. Um, but hours. we talked about how. Uh, oh, someone opening the door. Hey, what's up? I'll be out in a minute. You're good. Yeah. Um, you can edit that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that day when when that was happening, we talked about the relationship between uh, really investing everything you have into. Uh, the people around you and having a life that is enjoyable that it seems like doing exactly what you want to do is the most joyful version of things and that uh, really um, investing in all these other people is kind of the least advantageous uh, version of life um, but just from my experience when I do have a day where I do nothing and I do exactly what I want I always hate that day and, uh, and the opposite is also true when I do something that I felt really helped someone, even if it's just one person. Uh, I'll go home feeling way more up. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, to wrap this up, you now um, obviously have a huge, great uh, family and have all kind of grandkids and, and all that stuff and all the work that comes with being a good parent and being a good grandparent and then now um, God has given you this big uh, and growing ministry and all that. Uh, the last question would be someone who is maybe my age uh, feels like they'll... Oh, sorry, one more thing before I get to that. So that season of life you talked about where you hadn't met your wife yet, but you had tried to walk away from all the old stuff. Um, that's such a crucial moment because you walk away from the old friends and all the sort of camaraderie that came with that, but you don't have the new yet. You don't have all the new friends yet. You don't have sort of a whole uh, picture of what the new life will look like. And sort of that medium point where you don't want to be with the old people but the new people don't trust you yet is, uh, is such a sort of dangerous or volatile uh, moment. So uh, yeah, just what would you say to, to maybe someone in that stretch of time in between the old and the new and uh, feeling very um, uneasy about, uh, you know, just feeling very unstable, I guess. I just, the good question too. I mean, you've got some good questions here. I'm, there's a whole lot of other <laughs> things I'd love to say, but I, that's a whole other day about how <laughs> all this transition. Right. I, I, when I came to Jesus, I wanted him more than I wanted the next snort of Coke. Right. So saying that, I, all, between the transition between the old, my old life with the friends, the people I thought were friends that were around me, and the new life mm. of a life in Christ and those people that truly love me, there mm. was a gap. There was about a year and a half, about a year gap, not a year and a half. I just loved Him. I walked with Him. I did what He showed me to do every day. I got involved with the work I was doing. I shared my story with people. 
And I, I, I would come home and I'd watch Hee Haw with my mother on Saturday night and not go out on dates. And I didn't <laughs> hang out with anybody until I got further in the youth group mm. at the church. And then I slowly went in there. I, I never dated. I didn't know how to date properly. I didn't know how to look at girls properly. I didn't know mm. the right way to treat them. I didn't hate them or anything, but I always had this, you know, guy-girl thing. And mm-hmm. so that I had to let him transition me into my new life. It's almost like I was in the wilderness for about two years mm. until he started moving me toward going to a Christian college to get the do- to open the doors for me to go into ministry, which now I've led into 43 years of ministry. Mm. And so, but that's what I do. I just did the things that he put before for me every day. The next thing. Yes, and I had to push back on the old man being raised from the dead, the old Rob coming back. And I was, I kept playing the tape forward. If you go back to that, you've seen where it goes. Do not do that. Mm. Do not go back to the drugs. Do not go back to the rock scene. I mm. still love to go see concerts, but I didn't <laughs> go back to living in that world. Right. And that's what happened. And hedonism, hedonism is based on everything being short term. That let's live for right now because... The moment. Usually yeah. it's because we don't believe that we could have a good long term. So let's have sex with this person right now right. because they're here and I'm here. Yeah. Because I'm not that sure that I could have a really nice wife that I really, really like and that really uh, respects me, that I really respect and love and all that. We don't know that we could have that, but this is here. So let's take it because it's here. And the opposite is also true that when you do think you could have a great relationship that lasts 50 years with a wonderful uh, wife or husband, you will put off having sex with the sketchy person that you're with right now. And then it's just the two uh, opposite ways of of seeing the world. Um, I had one last question that was like a short one. Let me get it. Uh, yeah. So I have everything I need. I'm just trying to think if I'm forgetting anything. You were on the right track about that's how those <laughs> things work. I mean, you're, you're tracking. Oh, yes, yes. That's so, how that works. You just yep. steady the course and stay there. Mm. Satan's pulling over here. He's pulling, trying to pull your leg. This is what will really make you happy. Yeah. This lifestyle, this amount of money, this kind of home, this kind of people. And you just steady follow the Lord. And last time I, I met with you, we talked about this same moment in your life because yeah. it's kind of where I am in a lot of ways. And you were saying, always do the next right thing. Don't be too good to do the next right thing. Sure. Don't be too cool for the people that are in your life right now. Don't be too anything to really engage in whatever the next step is. So I'm the type of person where I sit back and go, well, I don't know that a year from now this is going to get me where I want to be. So screw that whole thing. I'm not even doing it. Like, I don't know that I'm gonna do this podcast right now because I don't know that it's gonna grow as fast as I want to, or whatever. I overthink something so much that it keeps me from doing it at all. And, uh, and the, your advice basically was, don't, uh, don't be too good for that. Don't be good, too good for the next step. And, uh, and I think that's applicable to someone regardless of, of where they are uh, in life. Uh, anything you want to share on yeah, what yeah, you're just yeah. saying, and I, I know we got to mm-hmm. wrap this up. No, we don't. I have you learned <laughs> very early when I had no one to look to anymore. I didn't have a, a, a group. I had my mother. Mm. And then I got into the church and I had a few people, but I had learned to just be a good, uh, as good as I could mm. with faults and all the follow Jesus. I have tried, tried, tried to make that. The, the number one goal, the, the, the top shelf of my life is just to follow Him. Every day, do what He shows me to do. And He's already got a plethora of things for me to do. Today I had to do 
two or three things. I met with some people right after lunch. I had this. I met with Kevin, our associate pastor. But I just follow him. And in doing that, he brings, that's the seek ye first principle. I take care of his business, and he takes care of mine. He brings the wife I needed. He brings the children we needed. He brings the opportunities for ministry. He brings the job. He does all, he does all the heavy lifting. I follow him. He didn't, he didn't tell me to figure out. He didn't tell me to try to look. He, he, you have to look to the future, but he told me to follow. follow. And if you read through the New Testament after the Gospels, that's what they did. And that's why I think if a person truly wants the life that Christ has for them, they have to learn the art of following and not doing it, not following me, following him. What about the person that doesn't care? You know, they don't care about the, the life that uh, God has for them because they're, they don't know that he cares. You know what I mean? What do you say to someone in that position where they go, I don't know if I buy this whole thing at all. Well, my question, <laughs> yeah, I know. my question to them is, are you really happy? Right. I mean, not happy. Yeah, yeah. Like circumstantial happy. Right. Are you? Content? Are you deep down inside? Can you get up every day and go, mm. "Yes, this is the day the Lord has made." Mm. Or, or if you, and then I ask them, and, and, and I say, "Be honest." And they go, "Well, yeah, I've got, I've got this coming up. My wife and I go to the other, or whatever." And I go deep, deep down inside, mm. where you live when you're by yourself, and when you're all alone, and when you're the mm. real you in there. Do you feel like your life is fulfilled in the true sense of the fulfillment word? Not with things, mm. but with fulfillment of who you really are. Who you are as a person. Who you are with the creator of all the universe. Who you, why you're here. Mm. What your purpose. And then That's the whole thing. That's what he straightens out. And when you get that straightened out and, and who he is and who you are and who you belong to, Everything else falls in place. Mm. I, you don't, I don't have to make stuff happen. I don't have to. Now that didn't mean I don't have to push and, and struggle, work through issues. Those all, but he's the one doing the heavy lifting. Right, because the foundational questions are answered. answered. That's right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, I just really appreciate that. Anything else you want to add as we, uh, as we close? I just <laughs> want to say thank you, mm. Zach doing this this is great i think you need to do it more and i think people need to hear other people's story mm. because that's what leads people to i think a relationship with jesus christ mm. thank you so much all right let me stop this great